Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're going to have a delightful conversation. The topic tonight is the ways of the rising woman. And our guest tonight is Rochelle McLaughlin. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. But I wanted to just talk about, you know, (laughs) I have to say, I'm just taking a big... uh, a step back here and saying from week to week as I do this radio show, I keep thinking that the the craziness of the last week has calmed down and we'll be on somewhat of an even footing from the week before, the corona protests, et cetera, and I, I throw in the hat. I don't uh, <laughs> throw the calendar off the wall. It's all... Uh, it's all up in the air, um, but but the uh, I think humanity is uh, having an inner reflection of itself, like um, perhaps never before. I know for myself, I'm getting glimpses into the I don't know what you call it, the shadow side, the subconscious side of the everyday. Um, American um, and everyday human because um, there's a global uh, reflection as well and th- there's there's some mindsets and beliefs out there that are really just um, terrified of what is happening and certainly there's been so much upheaval and the headlines just seemingly get crazier and crazier. But uh, the the continuity of consciousness is assured. I I'm I'm very fascinated with nature um, and observing nature um, in its natural environment and nature doesn't fret about time at all nature doesn't fret about tomorrow at all and and nature with a big n doesn't fret about loss at all it's it's in harmony with itself regardless of what might be. And I like to noodle the, the nature of things, pardon the pun. And what would a human being look like? What if we could click our heels and, and imagine um, human beings that are at as much at ease with themselves as a deer in the forest, as a tree in the forest, as a bird in the sky, or a fish in the stream? What would the human persona 
what attributes, what behaviors, what attitudes, what mindsets would a um, range-fed human, pardon, pardon the twist, a range, I mean, if we were, if we were to be completely in harmony with our nature, with nature and with that exact same harmony with ourselves, with, I, I suggest anxiety would vanish. I would suggest fear would vanish. And that these constructs are a reflection of our mind wringing its hands about the nature of our own nature. But the continuity of consciousness is assured, and lucky for you, lucky for me, our ego has nothing to do with it. Our ego can't decide whether we make it or not. We all make it. Well, wait a minute. We can die less. We can die. Sure thing. You can get in a car wreck tonight. A tree can fall in your house. You can choke on dinner tonight. Damn right you can die. You can die every day you wake up in your life. But if that's what you're going to put your attention on, you won't be living your life. You'll be dying. <laughs> the And, and I, I, I jest about this, but um, it's it's been documented really well, near-death experiences. Um, our last episode was... Um, uh, a, a mother and son, and the son passed unexpectedly, and the son comes back and tells mom, hey, look, I'm okay. I know I died, but I'm fine. You don't need to worry about me. And that's what I'm talking about, the continuity, the continuity of consciousness. The, continu- the continuity of the essence of who you are is assured, and there's nothing you can do about that. You cannot mess that up ever. The essence of you is out of touch, out of reach from any human intention ever. You are safe. You are safe. You made it. You never didn't make it. But to understand that you, you're safe, you made it. You made it. You can relax. You can take a deep breath. You're not going to vanish. You're not going to go away. The continuity of you is assured. There is no other outcome. I don't know if somebody needed to hear that today, and there you have it. So I think it's time to get to the episode. I'm very excited about our guest tonight. Um, she was part of the roundtable we had on the New Human Living Radio Show a while back. Uh, it was a delightful episode, and it's uh, I'm delighted to have her on the show tonight as a guest. The topic tonight is the ways of the rising woman, and again, our guest is Rochelle McLaughlin. Rochelle is a spiritual teacher life coach, author, and inspirational speaker. She is a UMass Medical School certified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher. 
and she has taught hundreds of women how to decolonize and heal. I like that word, decolonize. And heal and live the vibrant, empowered, and liberated lives they were born to live. Excellent. Perfect. Rochelle's teachings draw from the embodiment practices, ancestral healing, indigenous ways, and poetic traditions. Join me in welcoming Rochelle to the show. Rochelle, you're finally on the show. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here, Les. Thank you for inviting me. The ways of the rising woman, the woman. I don't know how many um, prophecies have spoken that it it will be from the reawakening of the feminine that will bring balance back to humanity and thus harmony and grace. What... How did you find yourself walking in the shoes you're walking in? I mean, how did this um, how did this come out of you? Wow, uh, that's such a great question. And my first impetus to you know what to share is suffering, my own suffering of uh, being lost in you know, in a trajectory of what I was taught by my culture, which was, uh, you know, on many levels and in different ways, but I was, you know, basically emotionally illiterate. I was disembodied. I went along with the destructive patriarchal narratives of, you know, just relatively insane productivity standards of excessive busyness, of materialism, individualism, and separatism, and found myself, when I was working at a large rehab hospital hospital locally, just uh, really falling into patterns of anxiety and really beginning a journey of seeking something that I knew in my heart was my human birthright. And that was, uh, that came to me through the cultivation of mindfulness, which is bringing my awareness into the present moment and in a non-judgmental, open, curious way. And it changed everything. It changed how I was in relationship to everything. And that included my own body it included the people in my life. It included my sense of connectedness to the world. And so through these practices of mindfulness, which is, again, bringing our awareness to the present moment, which is the only moment in which we ever have to live and to grow and to learn and to sense what it feels like to be alive in a human body, which is like, you know, the full catastrophe because it has all of it. It has, you know, the rage and the grief and sorrow, but it also has the wonder and the joy and awe. And that was the entry point for me. Well, 
that's a pretty profound transformation. I mean, what you just described there is is very profound. I know, I mean, it's quite easy to see so much of humanity is all wrapped up in themselves and they're wringing their hands and they're they're fretting and worrying about tomorrow. And, and yeah. what you just described is really walking out of the tsunami and into yeah. the into the calm. That's right. Boy, the, can you just like bottle that up and, and <laughs> the, the magic little pill? Yeah, I mean these these are teachings that are ancient, and they are, you know, we know that they actually come from places all over the world. When we look at you know, indigenous and shamanic, uh, you know, and just ancient traditions. And again, from every single walk of life all over the planet. And so, and there's, you know, like, um, you know, extraordinarily simple and yet radically different than our current mode of being. So that when we do begin to engage in it, and just, you know, again, bringing our awareness into the present moment, like it's, you know, it can feel like a radical act because it really is, you know, it's, it's radically simple, but it's also completely goes against our culture that we've right. all been swimming in since we've been born. Right. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, what have you noticed in your in your body how has your body responded to this change? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I was speaking to, like, the time, you know, when I was really suffering and having what felt like, you know, as I look back on it now, it was like a panic attack. I was having heart palpitations that were basically running 24-7. I had a heart monitor placed, and I found that out. And as soon as I started integrating this mindfulness, which is, you know, being present and fully here for the, and learning how to be here, because like I said, our whole humanity is here and that includes the full range. And so for, you know, 30 years of my life, I was taught to subjugate my experience. I was taught how to numb out, check out. I was taught how to block my own feelings and to be completely emotionally illiterate, you know? So as I started to become aware of what was here, that included this whole human experience. But in the lineage that I've been trained in, it's again, another level of like radical self-care, radical compassion. So these are particular attitudes and kind of what you were speaking to last right at the beginning of the show is that there are specific attitudes that we can actually build neuroplasticity for. So we can build neuropathways for self-compassion, for presence, for embodiment. Uh, When I speak to sacred ways, you know, being present is deeply sacred. It's sacred because we, this is, again, the only time in which we can ever sense what it feels like to be alive. And I know, you know, I've spent 30 years really being checked out. So I know the alternative. And that's, that's, 
not what I want for myself. And I long to share this with other women, and I do um, in on many you know in many different ways because it's one of the greatest gifts that we could ever offer ourselves, which is our life. You know, so we like are reclaiming our lives and our bodies. Because I was again totally checked out from my body too, and we and our culture does this in so many different ways. Um, you could just consider, you know, school being in school day in and day out for years and years of your life behind a desk, uh, and you know you can't. Your body might say it's hungry, or you might have to go to the bathroom, or you prefer to go outside, but you're basically having to shut the body's needs down in order to sit there hours and hours of every day and then we go from there then to you know a kind of work environment which has us often sitting behind desks again for life for lifetime and so we become and that's just one you know way that it's pointing to how we get disembodied but there are many other ways um <clears throat> from like messaging that we we receive about you know, of somebody's body is supposed to look a certain way, and it's and we're bombarded with this, these messages, and so we internalize them. And so, after you know, having taught this for so many years, I've been, I've seen this that there are specific cultural narratives that get embedded in our consciousness. And then we begin to live them out and we don't even realize it. So it's actually like an internalized systemic oppression that mindfulness actually acts at the level of consciousness to get people out from under that oppression and to re-embody them, reconnect them with the only life in which they have to live and from that place create meaningful change in their lives. Right. Well, and I mean, there's there's the narrative of the culture, if you will, and certainly the um, that narrative of the past has had such a karmic quagmire as a consequence. Yeah. But I mean, there's there's so many ways we can kind of push ourselves in a rut, so to speak. Like, uh, yeah. Maybe you're in a relationship and you adore your spouse, but if you're emotionally numb and and perhaps the spouse is too there uh, and there's a a falling apart of the relationship, uh, it can be easy to say, well, what did I do wrong? What was what was not good enough in me? And you you can install these mental constructs of well, I need to be more this or I need to be more that. And it's not really based in the heart. It's it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a story to try to understand why somebody did something that they did. And it doesn't even have to be based in truth. But when you when you take on this idea that, well, the reason this failed was because of my attributes or my behaviors, and then you, from the from the place of the mind, you start to sculpt yourself, which is blasphemy to the authentic mm-hmm. self. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, how does how do you even go about um, understanding some of these 
deeper, uh, perhaps subconscious narratives or posturings that you might have accumulated over the years? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think maybe one of the first things that was really profound for me, and again, these are ways of being. So these are things that we that we uh, like bring into and live into into our lives over the course of time. You know, and so all of these amazing questions that you're asking are ones that we can like live with, and that we're not always looking. We're not necessarily looking for answers, but we're just sort of living into the questions. Uh, but one way to do this is, you know, of course, mindfulness. You know, like really integrating this present moment awareness. It's like an openness, a curiosity, just noticing, giving yourself a chance to notice, like where where does your mind tend to wander? You know, when I first really started to pay attention, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like the attitudes that I had towards my body was disturbing. You know, like uh, when I look back on it, like, And so you can notice, like, where did you pick that up, you know? And then you can say, you know, I I don't have to go with that storyline anymore, just like you were speaking to us. Like, these these can be stories that we just have been telling ourselves for, you know, dozens of years, and, and they keep us, what I've noticed is they actually keep us small, quiet, obedient, and going along with the program. And they keep us really busy. And so that's a disempowered populace when we are not fully, you know, really connected with our true, authentic self. Um, and so noticing it, just noticing where our mind goes, we can, you can use journaling, you know, I mean, while you're washing the dishes and you're like, you know, having thoughts about, you know, your body not being the way you want it to be, you know, well, that's, that's a kind of energy, uh, loss in some way like because it keeps us distracted on things that our culture again patriarchal culture tells us is important rather than like what's the reality here and we're learning to then really drop down into the body as a whole w-h-o-l-e in its entirety and just sensing into it that it's alive, that it's breathing. You know, if I had to breathe, I would have died a long time ago. This is happening, like right now, this aliveness that we have all been, you know, bestowed this extraordinary gift. So we get a chance with mindfulness, with awareness, is to just notice where our narratives are going, where they tend to go, knowing, too, that this is not our fault, that these are things we've taken on from family, from um, teachers, from religious leaders, from the political landscape, from, you know, on and on and on. We're just absorbing it, and we don't even know it. So mindfulness, awareness is such a powerful tool to illuminate what's here, and not as as a way to, like, oh, see, there I go again. We're not, you know, again, this is, <clears throat> it's non-judgmental awareness where we're just, uh, you know, holding a lot of huge amount of compassion for ourselves, building perspective that, you know, these thoughts are not just like me making it up. 
we have digested this. We've integrated it. And that's what it's this integration of systemic oppression. That's in the kind of oppression when you have millions of women thinking that their bodies are not okay. That keeps them small, quiet, obedient, and going along with the program and busy focusing on, you know, the individualistic, materialistic uh, program that we've all been, you know, like uh, a friend of mine says is like drinking this Kool-Aid. Well, we don't, we can stop. We can step off this treadmill and we don't need to go, you know, we don't need to buy into those narratives anymore. And it takes time, but it actually is pretty quick. We can notice in neuroscience research shows that as soon as we start working with this kind of, these kinds of practices, within two weeks we can see uh, neuronal changes in brain scans. So this is not, I mean, yes, it's a lifelong practice of unlearning dynamics of oppression and dynamics of narratives that just are, are destructive and that we can switch, we can choose. And then we can sense the power in that. It's so empowering to notice, okay, wow, that's a narrative I don't buy into anymore. I'm going to choose this narrative because I feel uh, empowered. I feel whole. I feel love. I feel a sense of ease and connection. Then that's my inner compass, and I'm going to stay deeply aligned to that. And if anything, as I step forward and take action, if anything takes me out of that alignment, then it's like a red flag. And then I can tell, oh, I can tilt myself back in the direction of my deep core values for how I want to feel. And very often it's really stepping off this, you know, cultural patriarchal narratives. Right. Very well said. Um, I know um, I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to get off the perception. But when, um, so if I'm listening to this uh, um, and I've, I've been, I, I love the visual of you wake up on a stagecoach and the horses are running like a son of a bitch and you have these reins coming up through your hands, and you're you're managing the horses. You're you're trying to uh, navigate the reins to keep um, the stagecoach upright. And it's a metaphor for our lives that mm-hmm. we have a relationship with our husband, with our kid, or our lover, or whoever. We have a relationship at work. We have a relationship insert um, relationship here. And when we start to let go, when we start to um, drop the reins and let go of the posturing, it um, we're really we're really um, shifting our weight from managing the stagecoach to not managing, and it can seem like if we don't the the egos. Uh, loves the notion that it has to decide everything. And what you're talking about is 
letting go of that and letting what we thought we needed to be doing and let it dissolve. How do um, how do you navigate as you start to in, embody these practices? Um, clearly, the relationships that you have will start to mirror that different dynamic back. Um, how do you how do you take those steps with confidence, not really perhaps totally sure about the outcome? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I love the analogy you're talking about with the stagecoach. <laughs> it's, um, you know, my first inclination would be to say, okay, so let's say we're waking up to, you know, this runaway stagecoach and you've got the reins in your hand. So the first part I would say is, okay, so we're going to sit up and, you know, instead of being like asleep and just going along with the program, now we're going to kind of like become alert. We're actually going to fall awake now. And we're going to actually hold the reins, but we're going to hold it, you know, with a certain amount of ease and equanimity. And we're going to, you know, work with these practices of being in in our body, like really, like almost down in our gut even. And I don't know if you've heard of, like we know now that actually our gut um, has like a second brain. So we know this called this enteric system where these cells that are actually brain cells, they're an adipose-type tissue cell that... um, you know, interlaces all our organs and that actually 10 signals from the gut brain actually go to the brain, the brain brain that we know of so well. And for every one signal that goes from the head brain down into the gut brain. So there's, this is, so I'm saying like from this deep sort of core place in our body, that's where we want to start to steer the reins from. And that, you know, these are baby steps. But particularly as we become more closely aligned with how we wish to feel. So, for example, like four of my, and I mentioned them before, there's, you know, um, four of mine are, you know, to feel connected, to feel free, to feel loved and empowered. And so, any act, so anytime I would be taking those reins and again, like making a decision or taking an action, that if it doesn't feel like at least, you know, a couple of those, better, better yet, if it feels like all of those, you know you're on the right track. And that, you know, a part of this work, because we're working with being present, is that there's a level of trust that as I move forward and make decisions and choices and act in a way that's aligned very deeply with that core, um, my gut, and with how I want to feel connected. So every single conversation is like, oh, that doesn't feel, uh, you know, I don't feel free in this situation. I don't, I certainly don't feel love or connected or whatever it is. And we can start to tilt ourselves every single decision, every choice we make. And, you know, it can be small little baby steps, choice by choice by choice in that direction. And that includes 
radical self-care too so that, you know, as we are tending to our own basic needs as humans with tattered hearts because we, you know, most if not all of us have, you know, grief and sorrow and this is a part of the human condition that we need to learn we're also building neuroplasticity and neuropathways for kindness and self-compassion throughout this whole process and that that can keep us in the direction of what it is, you know, we're longing for. And that may mean that small changes, that could mean significant changes occur in our life because we're staying aligned with that inner compass and, but being present, it gives us a chance to also have greater trust for the unfolding and not needing to have all the answers and also not needing to continue to sort of stay in ruminations about what might happen in the future because we don't know and that can take us that takes us out of this moment and can cause a lot of anxiety and then suddenly we're not connected and free and we're definitely not feeling love in those kinds of situations. So then we just come right back, you know, to our core, to our body, um, feel into our aliveness. Notice if we're trying to cling to those reins and we're trying to jerk the horses around and trying to force things to be a certain way because that's not, that's not connection. That's not liberation. That's not freedom either. And then if we notice that, then we just, you know, see if we can release the tension of it and that's like a pr- in practical ways just even you know if we no- if we notice even just right now is there tension in our jaw do I am, am I holding my belly in am I you know is there tension in my shoulders and I can see if I can allow all that to release and relax and by all if that's possible by all means letting that happen uh, so you know in really practical tangible ways this work shows up in our lives and that we can work with it and um, and the more present that we can stay, the less likely we are to project on the future like what we want to happen. And then it's, it's really like establishing healthy boundaries for ourselves because that, there's such an enormous amount of energy that we can lose by ruminating about what might happen when we don't know. So there's a certain amount of don't know mind and also just to trust the more that I'm aligned with my inner, uh, those core feelings of, you know, what I long for and what I desire uh, to feel. So for me, connection, love, freedom, the more I stay aligned with that inner compass, the more I can settle into a certain amount of, you know, trusting the process, no matter what, even if things get really difficult. Well, I have to applaud you in that um, this this platform that you've created is so very elegant. It's very graceful mm-hmm. in that the practice meets you right where you are. It's a very simple steps, mm-hmm. but but you're literally changing the direction from. Um, either perpetuating or compounding anxiety and stress 
mm-hmm. you're literally stepping back out of that and moving in the opposite where it's more of a release and capitulation. It, the the idea of a compressed spring where we're kind of holding it all in and we're trying to mm-hmm. put on the face that we think everybody wants to see mm-hmm. and through these practices you're talking about. Did you notice... Um, I mean, once you stop kind of pushing and you let go and let a a relaxation happen, did you find, um, like, bouts of crying or um, seemingly irrational um, feelings and behaviors percolate up once you gave them space? That's such a great question. I have definitely processed, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, just having been, you know, for at least 30 years of my life, being emotionally illiterate, right, and learning how to subjugate and push away and numb, that, you know, these these practices of mindfulness are so... Uh, they're very invitational and they're very gentle. And of course, we're integrating these very powerful practices of self-compassion and uh, kindness so that every single time that we're, you know, really showing up, because again, our body only ever lives in this moment. So as we show up for that, it's all here. And so it's been a slow processing for me. Uh, to, you know, connect with those places within myself that I've had to long let go of. And and that's a part of this work, which I do use this, the terminology divine feminine, that this is a part of, you know, what a, a reclamation, that, that this work is really about reclaiming those parts of ourselves that were subjugated. And that is the, the divine feminine in part. And you can say the divine masculine too, because that divine masculine also holds those energies with reverence, emotions with reverence, as a way to, um, again, those emotions are almost like absolutely necessary in order for us to recognize, well, what are my core desired feelings and um, core values? Well, we need to, our emotions are tied up in that. So if somebody, you know, does something abusive and you feel enraged about it, that's a valid human response to an abusive experience. And so then we notice, okay, well, that was not okay. I don't want to, uh, that doesn't align with my core values. And so I'm going to tilt my life via action in the direction of love. And that's not, you know, you know, so we're constantly sort of in relationship to every aspect of our lives, of course, and with awareness and with this deep abiding connection to how it is, you know, we just feel what are our needs and how do we feel like we um, should be treated and how do we treat others. And all of this has to do with really staying aligned with and attuned to our inner emotional landscape again not pushing it away not trying to cling to anything like we don't need to cling to happiness because that's that's not it either um 
it's holding the full range of our humanity. And this is what true healing is about. It's really honoring and acknowledging our whole human experience. And it's the full spectrum of our humanity, including all those emotions. So, uh, and it goes against destructive patriarchal norms. So every single time we show up and we go, oh, wow, rage is here, or grief and sorrow, and that I'm going to give myself space to the degree that I'm able to, to just hold this with love and kindness and compassion. And there's no need to push, you know, nothing to do. I don't need to alter my experience in any way. This is a radical uh, healing aspect of this work. It's really a reclamation of the divine feminine. And it is an impetus for profound, meaningful change in our personal lives and collectively. Wow, very well spoken. Um, again, I, I very much like your material, and I, I think it's uh, um, uh, such a magnificent um, opportunity, I guess, for for women to more authentically embody to, to like you say, you're you're looking at your thoughts, you're you're recognizing the feelings. I love how you say that when you feel, uh, you know, rage or some some feeling that might not seem comfortable, to just stay in that space mm-hmm. and allow that feeling. <laughs> that right there mm-hmm. is um, what many many people never figure. <laughs> They never figure it out that it, as long as they're avoiding that, the amount of energy behind it actually grows, and it yeah. and it's it's tipping the cart over. But until <laughs> they recognize, um, just to be present, like you say, to be in this moment, mm-hmm. to be in this moment, this one right yeah. here, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the natural, uh, my sense is the natural part of us um, <clears throat> didn't leave. It's not like we removed it. We loaded everything else on top of it. So it's <clears throat> yeah. kind of an unraveling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all here. It's really, you know, it never left. The divine feminine never left. You know, it's all right here and accessible in every single moment. And it's not anyone's fault that it went that it went, you know, underground or was subjugated or that but we also have the responsibility if we wish to, you know, we but we have to do the work, right? We have to do the work. And it's one of the it's one of the most incredible gifts that we can give ourselves as human beings is to be to learn to be with the full human experience because this is like this is it and the more we're able to give ourselves the permission and and in some cases it's a skill to be in relationship to for example you know grief and sorrow and the more that we're, we go we're able to go into that the more we're we have access to awe and wonder and joy. So they are completely married and integrated with one another. And so the more we give ourselves the opportunity to go in those places, um, 
and to know them intimately. And it's different than like a depressive ruminative cycle. You know, a lot of times depression can be like a cognitive thinking about what happened in the past over and over again. And that's, that's a very different thing. These are thoughts, you know, that um, can cripple us, really. So when I'm speaking to grief, I'm just as an example, just, you know, as I'm tuning into my body and I see, um, you know, the street outside get torn up or something and I know, you know, or I see, you know, the squirrel that used to live in my backyard has now been run over, you know, on the street in front. I mean, the grief, right, that's just like in our face every day. And those are just, that's a tiny thing. And we're, like you mentioned at the top of the show with what's happening um, in the body politic and to uh, black humans on this planet and, you know, just the grief in all of us. And so part of our work in healing this for all of humanity, for ourselves, is to give ourselves an opportunity to actually feel it, you know? So. Sure. Well, let's talk about your platform. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're in California now. You um, you work with women, but is it in person or do you have um, online services? Give us a, a, an overview of the ways our audience can engage your services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have on my website is a link to the main course that I teach, and it's uh, uh, we meet a couple times a month via Zoom with an incredible group of women, and that's called the Ways of the Rising Woman course. And you can go to rochellemclaughlin.com backslash course to get to that. And then we have a private Facebook uh, community that's associated with that where we it's very lively with lots of um, opportunities to connect with other other women in that community and to hear um, experts come on and share amazing things. And then I also am launching next week, it's a self-paced e-course that is powerful and it has all of the different elements of embodiment, self-healing, ancestral healing, and then this mobilization piece, which is this action piece of this work. And um, so that will be coming up. And then I also have a beautiful deck of cards called the Manifesting Power and Purpose Card Deck, and that's online as well on my website, wishalmclaughlin.com. And then I also do one-on-one consultations and um, coaching sessions, and I lead retreats and events, and all of that is, is online. So you can find that on my website too. Beautiful. Now, um, there's the Internet has no room for error when you're typing in a URL. So can you spell out your web address? Yes. So it's www dot Rochelle McLaughlin and that's spelled R O C H E L L E. McLaughlin is spelled M C L A U G H L I N and it's dot com. Beautiful. So what have you noticed as um women participate in your program? What kind of changes have you observed in them? You know, I am blessed to receive 
gotten so many testimonials from women, and I just have to say it's extraordinary for me to read what what unfolds as they do this work. Uh, you know, one woman just recently shared that this is like the first time she's actually felt worthy. Like she's worthy of just being who she is, completely who she is, and just complete as she is. Um, and other women say, you know, that they've, this is the first time ever that, like, they feel like they've got their life, they've been given their life back. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really transformational, really profound what what women say. Um, empowered, they feel like they've got, you know, healthier boundaries. They uh, feel like they get their voice back. They feel nourished, uh, for example, like the ancestral healing work because they're connecting with their own ancestry that's so rich and filled with extraordinary treasures and gifts. And um, and then to feel like they can take this, you know, all of this nourishment from embodiment and ancestral healing and self-healing and they can take uh, this sense of like being connected to their own inner compass and then move and be mobilized and organized and be actionable in the world in ways that are aligned with what they long for in their own personal lives but also in their communities. Beautiful. Well, so... Um Who's your ideal client? I mean, what? How would you describe um, your ideal client? Yeah, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that my ideal client is sick and tired of the status quo. So she is ready. Like she understands. Like this, there's something really deeply wrong like the planet is being pillaged and she's done with that um you know humans we've been on this trajectory for just a few hundred years so uh of like individualism separatism you know uh, uh, that and these this internalized um you know oppressive forces particularly for women over hundreds of years and she's done and she knows that we don't have to go down that path anymore, right? We we can actually choose, but she's also not quite sure how to go about that. She's there's a lot of fear because it often means that there's potentially a lot of change. Like she needs to come into her voice. She needs to get grounded in her body and she needs to get super attuned to and deeply connected with her inner compass. And so that's the work that I do is to bridge that piece of it for women and to give them a community of women doing the same thing so that we, you know, link arms and then move forward together into the new world that we all know, you know, deep in our hearts is possible. And we want to be a part of the new evolution of humanity in right relationship with the earth and with one another. Right. Humanity is very hungry for a more authentic narrative. Humanity is very hungry for 
um, a deeper sense of peace, I think. There's so mm-hmm. much lack of peace, if you will, in the busyness, not only in what the media shows us, but just in the kind of the undercurrent of our culture to um it's important for us to be busy we're not if we're relaxing we're not getting anything done i i mean just in a general way um and that doesn't serve us as individuals to have this kind of a rat race mentality and so yeah um I really like that. Well, so if if somebody's going to work with you, I mean, how does this how does this evolve over time? I mean, you've got these online programs. Is um, what kind of uh, uh, change does does it take over time as as women engage this process? So some of the first practices that we work with is the is embodiment practices. So I use specific uh, guided, like formal guided meditations, and we really are developing neuroplasticity. So this is like brain. We're actually developing areas of our brain, like the frontal cortex, uh, which has to do with compassion, problem solving. Um, you know, critical thinking, seeing the big picture. So we're literally developing neural pathways in that area of our brain that connects us to our body, gets us grounded, and we're and present in the present moment. And so we work. So that's one of the pillars, and that includes these variety of different guided meditations. And then the self-healing piece is that there's specific attitudes that we're developing, and that has to do with like radical self-compassion and learning to be in relationship to our own selves, uh, like putting the welcome mat for whatever is here, and that includes the full range of human experience. So we're really sort of unraveling and undoing patterns of thinking that had us for many years likely, you know, subjugating or pushing away certain aspects of our experience. Uh, We're actually reclaiming those and then developing healthy boundaries and really connecting to our core desired feelings. And then we do another set of, you know, just ongoing exercises of deepening levels of uh, ancestral reclamation. So, um, you know, going back as far as we can, you know, particularly for white folks, because when our ancestors had to sign on, you know, for whiteness as an adaptive response to, to be here in America, we had to let go of an extraordinary, rich ancestry that fed our soul deeply. And so we're, we are feeding, you know, a deep spiritual poverty Uh, Right now, we're feeding it with materialism, because that's what our culture has given us. But in my curriculum, we are going to switch that into, um, you know, gently, of course, but we're feeding our soul with all these other things, embodiment, self-healing, self-compassion, and reclaiming our ancestry. And uh, And then also working with looking at what breaks our heart the most 
are, that's happening in the world? What is it that just breaks our heart? And then uh, being with that heartbreak and then aligning our actions in ways that help us uh, become a part of the change so that we become the change and not as a way of like, you know, we're not grabbing those reins and jerking the horses and trying to get them to go in a direction that we're going in. We are, you know, we're doing this from a place of, um, of, you know, relative ease and, but dignified, connected and rooted in our body to our core values, to our core desired feelings and connected to our ancestry. And then we're also tending, we're learning to tend to the land that we are on right now. So yes, I am, you know, I'm living on right now in Ohlone land here in California. Um, Ohlone people lived here for 3,000 years before some of my ancestors, in fact, came in before the 1850s and colonized this land. So how can I connect to this land in a way that as a steward of it, deeply interconnected with this animate world. And again, this is another deeply healing piece of the practices of the ways of the rising woman. So all of these things in combination, these are the things that we're sort of, you know, stewing in and, and um, it's like an alchemical pot of like deep spiritual, deep, um, deep healing for us as women. Well, very nice. Well, an hour can fly by pretty fast. Do you have yeah. any closing? <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts for the audience? I would say because sometimes it can feel like, oh, this just seems really big, and there's a lot here, a lot to do, a lot, you know. And the essence of the message is that. I would say, because our body only ever exists right here in the present moment, only ever, right here. So wherever you are, on your little corner, beautiful, beautiful corner of the planet, on planet spaceship Earth, wherever that is for you, that you just, to the degree that you're able to, root yourself in a way to that land and connect with it in a deep, an abiding and reverential way and and to your body because you are a manifestation of this this what we call life that includes you know all of it like we wouldn't be alive without the sun or the rain or the soil and so we are deeply interconnected with that so i would say that's it like just if there was one thing to do in every single moment that you can for the every single moment that you have for the rest of your life is tune into this moment, this one, this one, this one. Well, very nice. Hey, I want to thank you for being our guest again. I very much have enjoyed this conversation and learning more about your platform. Thank you for being our guest tonight. Thank you, Les. It's a delight to be here, and I just appreciate the work that you're doing, and I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. We've been talking with Rochelle McLaughlin, and the topic tonight has been the ways of the rising woman. You know, I'm, 
I'm very I'm <laughs> I'm very excited about what's happening on planet Earth because the the human persona is such a powerful vehicle of change. It's a powerful vehicle of inspiration. It's a very powerful vehicle of compassion and love, this human persona that we all have. And I've been I've been doing this for a while now and I see um um a very uh deep stirring in people's hearts. Um, People are hungry for a more authentic story. They're hungry for a a better narrative that they can get behind as far as it comes to the view of what the future might be. And I want to thank you, the listener, for sharing this time with us. You have shown up for yourself. By listening to this episode, you took time out of your day, out of your life, to to get a fresh perspective, to get a deeper insight of what and who you might be in the future. And it's my pleasure, it's my passion, it's my purpose to be a vehicle for this. We, we rounded the band uh, with uh, 10 years of, of new human living and it it always it's always a pleasure for me to bring new episodes like this. Um, I'm your host Les Jensen. Thanks for joining us tonight. Until next time. This has been a new human living radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.